if it's it's interesting, we call those battles. Um, you, <laughs> and, and that's not it's not a flippant answer. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Texas had just won its independence from Mexico in a bloody revolution. The promise of a prosperous future for Anglo settlers was on the horizon, and everyone wanted their share. While everyone wanted peace, it was inevitable that newcomers would continue to clash with the native residents of the territory. Today we're talking about the Muncie Incident. But first, what's the most memorable grave you've ever visited in Texas? Well, I don't know that it's the most memorable grave I've ever visited, but the most recent that I can recall is uh, just last weekend in College Station when we visited the gravesite of the Reveilles, the uh, Texas A&M school mascots, um, right there at the newly rebuilt uh, Kyle Field. They've uh, set up a nice memorial for uh, those uh, beloved uh, collies uh, of uh, yesteryear, uh, complete with her own personal little scoreboard so she can keep up with the score during games. Hmm. That's sweet. Well, there you go. That's a, that's actually a really uh, sweet, sweet story. That is. I've been there as well. I'll have you know. Uh, no, uh, I could say the uh, Texas State Cemetery full of lots of famous people that we've talked about. However, uh, my grandparents are buried at the Dallas-Fort Worth National Cemetery, which is just uh, in Grand Prairie. And the buried there is Glenn McDuffie. And if you don't know who Glenn McDuffie is, you have seen his picture. He's the guy who was kissing the nurse at the end of World War II in that famous Life magazine photo. So he's buried there. Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm not a, uh, a vampire, even though it is close <laughs> to Halloween. So uh, I don't like to hang out in graveyards. Like you weirdos. Um, no, I think I've, I've probably been by the San Fernando Cathedral in San Antonio, uh, and that's where um, a bunch of the remains of the Alamo Defenders is interred. Uh, I've also been to the Alamo itself, which I'm sure there's probably some remains that are still present there. The spirits hang around it. Um, and then uh, back in Rosenberg, uh, I, I live really close to, there's a graveyard that has a lot of old-timey Texans in it, including... Uh, Lamar and uh, Susan Dickinson are both buried there. So the Dickinsons are buried there. Mm -hmm. Also, if uh, you guys are listening and you want to send us a interesting and or spooky um, Graveyard Texas story, just get on the Twitter at Texas Podcast and let us know. As outlined in the Constitution of 1836, the Republic of Texas began issuing land grants awarded based on when settlers arrived and the new nation of Texas. Among the grantees are believed to have been the first Anglo settlers in the modern-day Plano area, McBain Jameson in 1840, and the family of Jeremiah Muncie in 1842. In 1844, Mr. Jameson settled in with the Muncie family near Rowlett Creek, since he was an older man and had no family to help him work the land. Their chosen homestead bordered on an area of dense woods near a spring, and they were said to have erected a temporary living structure while constructing a log cabin as their permanent home. Although the Texas Revolution may have brought some measure of stability to the region's political situation, the frontier itself was still a dangerous place. 
These early settlers still didn't have a lot of civilization or protection to keep them sheltered from the hardships of frontier life. Raids from American Indians uh, who lived in the area, which were less common than they had been before, was still something that Anglos had to fear when they moved into the area. They were, after all, invading territory and a way of life of an indigenous people that had inhabited the area for many years and up to centuries before. So it's natural that conflict was going to be inevitable. Now, there's few solid written records uh, for this area during that period, but traditional oral accounts lay out the following events. In the fall of 1844, two men named Leonard Searcy and William Rice, along with their two sons, were hunting along Rowlett Creek. Their campsite one night was about 10 miles from their home, which put them in the neighborhood of the Muncie Homestead. Presumably just to say hello and let the Muncies know that they were hunting nearby, Searcy got up one morning and went to search for the Muncies. But instead, in his words, he found, quote, a heart-rending sight. Mr. Muncie, his wife, Mr. Jameson, and the Muncie's youngest child had been murdered. There was no sign of their 17, 15, or 12-year-old boys, so Searcy assumed that they had been taken captive. Reports are that he recognized the signs of an Indian raid and quickly returned to his campsite to check on Mr. Rice and their boys. Mr. Rice was there, but the boys had left that morning to hunt. Now anxious, Searcy and Rice set off down the creek after their sons. Sadly, they came upon the body of Mr. Rice's son. They placed him on a horse and continued their search. They couldn't find any sign of the Searcy boy, and having no other recourse, they made the 10-mile ride back to their home. There they found him alive and well, and he told a tale of being attacked on the trail, and they told them of his narrow escape. In addition, the 15-year-old Muncie boy was found in the nearby Throckmorton settlement. He had left for there sometime previously to go get supplies. Now, based mainly on the Searcy boy's account of the attack, the oral tradition tells the story of an Indian raiding party that had camped upstream from the Muncie homestead the night before. They descended on the home early in the morning, massacred the family there, then continued along the creek where they came upon Searcy and Rice's sons. No confirmation was ever really made as to the fate of the Muncie's two other boys. It's assumed they were kidnapped and taken by the Indians. Upon Searcy's return, a group of men was assembled to attempt pursuit of the perpetrators of this attack. Unfortunately, the raiders moved swiftly and, quote, were not overtaken. Remains were later found along the trail, perhaps years later, but there was never a positive identification of the missing Muncie boys. And while attacks by Native Americans on Anglo settlers were not uncommon, the facts aren't actually solid enough to definitively say what happened to the Muncies, Jameson, and Rice Boy. The story passed down over generations, from generation to generation, and likely has been filled with assumptions and personal bias that may not necessarily reflect history, but then, such is life on the frontier. The end result didn't have much effect on the settlers pouring into the area. Texas became a state in 1845, and in 1846, Collin County was founded. The legend is that the Muncie incident was the last violent confrontation between Anglo settlers and American Indians in this particular area. Now, whether this was truly Indians or not, one account noted, quote, it struck cold fear into the hearts of the early settlers, and they lived with this fear for years to come. Today, there's a stone cross marker commemorating the site where the Muncies were massacred and also their burial site. Uh, there's also a official Texas state historical marker. Um, this story actually came to our attention because uh, at some point in recent years, there was a 
you know, an informational display, like a museum display that was placed along the Oak Point Trail uh, in Plano. And I came across that on a hike, and I thought it was an interesting story that I hadn't heard before. Um, the historical marker itself was originally near the, the site of the massacre, but in 1998, it was moved to the Spring Creek campus of Collin County Community College, about a mile uh, southeast of the actual site, um, presumably to make it more accessible for people to see it. So that's the story of the Muncie incident. Um, like I said, I just thought it was an interesting story that I hadn't heard before. It's kind of local history. Um, and it shows that this very much urbanized area that we live in um, was once, you know, frontier like any other part of Texas. Well, I think, too, it's one of these things of, you know, we've talked about other interactions. And I think I think when you when you look at some of the early episodes and we talk about Native and, and Anglo interactions, a lot of, you know, we think of Texas as, as what modern Texas is, but really it kind of anything west of San Antonio is pretty dangerous. Anything north of San Antonio was pretty dangerous uh, areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was a little struck when you said, when it's, we said it was the Throckmorton settlement where the, the one boy had gone, but actually, uh, because Throckmorton is about a hundred, 120 miles further west. But I think what, what we're referencing is actually the actual Throckmorton, the, uh, Dr. William Throckmorton, who and the who's the pioneer of the area around McKinney, which is just north of Plano, uh, and his son James Throckmorton became governor of Texas, and they they settled the McKinney area. So I think that's that's what we're talking about. Is there wasn't really a McKinney yeah. town? Yeah. yeah. No. It, at the time, there wasn't really any um, yeah. actual cities or or towns around. I think it, it was mostly unincorporated. Maybe yeah, I'd, ha I'd have to look founded. up the exact date, but uh, I do know that this, the Collin County area was very much just wilderness and uh, independent homesteaders. And so, yeah, like when it references Throckmorton settlement, they mean that's the where farm. the Throckmortons lived. <laughs> yeah, their farm. <laughs> it was a, it yeah. wasn't a, a named place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This So this was 18, yeah, so this was 1845. Dallas wasn't founded until uh, a couple of years later. Um, and uh, yeah, so it would have been the Throckmortons farm where they lived. There's not roads. So it's not like we just it's right off of that road where that road has been forever. But I guess it kind of is because it's is it actually yeah, well, at Oak Park? Is that I where didn't, they're? <laughs> yeah, we were I was on a, a, a hike with the Boy Scouts, so I didn't take a lot of time to, you know, to leave the trail and go find where the, the actual site is. But, um, it, yeah, it, it's you know, there's the Oak Point Nature Preserve, which is a pretty um open wilderness-like area that, that hasn't been developed and uh, buried in there somewhere along the creek um, is the site of uh, the grave site and the, the, the site mm -hmm. of this massacre. Um, I do uh, intend to, to go back out there one of these days and, and see what I can find. But um, yeah, like I said, I thought it was interesting, nice local history. I do find it interesting that they go out of their way on that uh, that plaque and, and then the research that I did. It's like the actual historical marker, I believe, um, if you look up the actual words on it, actually does definitively say it was an Indian attack. But um, some of my other research show that's like, well, that was kind of assumed. Um, they they didn't they couldn't imagine, you know, what else it could have been. And the boy said it was Indians. Um, but, you know, without a real mm -hmm. 
real records of what was going on. You know, it was it's basically built on a lot of um, assumptions and uh, you know local bias, I guess. And yeah. you know, it's it's not like I said, it's not unrealistic for it to have been an Indian attack because that is something that mm-hmm. that was still occurring at that time. Yeah, you know, and uh, here's a couple of things. So Oak Point. Uh, Oak Point Creek, uh, Oak Point uh, Park is right across the street, Mike, from your uh, your church when you lived in Allen. Oh yeah, the, yeah, at the church. Yeah. And and Rowlett Creek does run through through that uh, park, and actually starts up here near McKinney, where near where I live. But uh, you know, when you read, uh, if you read, go back and even read this the children's books like uh, a Little House on the Prairie uh, by Laura Ingalls Wilder, she talks about uh, a an incident that occurred when a uh, when an uh, a Shawnee or an Osage or some some Indian uh, came to their house and came in and and you know ended up taking uh, some bread and some food and 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 it was a very tense story that that Laura Ingalls described um, and that her father was able to basically kind of give the Indians some some things and and he left and that was the thing is that is that it was there was a lot of the problems was just communication and that. Things would quickly escalate because they they wouldn't be able to communicate or wouldn't be willing to in the expectations of one side or the other. Uh, one day, you know, they they may meet and trade trade goods and be friendly, and the next day, uh, the Indian wants a horse, or uh, the, the 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 farmer who lives on the land doesn't want the Indian on his land or doesn't want him there, and it and tempers can flare and things things would happen. So. Um, who knows what happened? It's not uncommon that those those massacres did happen and those attacks did happen. I mean, look, just it was just uh, not even it was eight years earlier when uh, Cynthia Parker and the whole Parker family was was killed and the the children were taken off. So, and that was just down uh, just north of Waco, between what is today Waco and Dallas. So it's it's well, pretty common. Yeah, no, no, I'd, I'd be interested to hear uh, if there's. Just for the for the flip side of it, I'd be interested to hear if there are oral traditions about uh, massacres and things that happened to the native population and some of those oh, stories. Well, yes, <laughs> we see, you know, Mike, we, we call those if it's it's interesting. We call those battles, um, you, and, and that's not it's not a flippant answer. It is it is actually it's quite well noted and documented that attacks by Native American tribes on Whites were considered were called massacres in the historical markers and history books, and massacres of Native American villages and and uh, uh, locations were called battles uh, in the history books. It, you know, many of Custer's famous victories over Indians were attacks on their their camps. You know, and to killing women and children. So, there's an ugly there's an ugly side to that. This the whole situation, the the Indian Wars uh, between the settlers and the Indians in the frontier throughout American history. Um, and you know, this is this is not revisionist history. This is if you just go back and look at primary sources, you'll see. Yep. You know, a battle. Be, you know, we this battle was fought against the Comanche, and, and like you look at the details of the battle, we we attacked their camp in the middle of the night. Everyone was sleeping. And we slaughtered everybody we could find, and there was, and then, and then warriors showed up, and we left. You know, so it was not uncommon for both situations to occur: the the massacres of the whites and the massacres of the Indians. Well, that's a fine note to end on. It's not all like the uh, she wore a yellow ribbon, where they drive off the horses and 
make the Comanche walk back to the reservation. Um, it it does did get quite ugly often. Hmm. Yep. But I, I was surprised at this story that it was as it was as early to me as as early as 1844 when you know Collin County um, that was the last known incident between Native Americans Indians and uh, whites in Collin County in the Dallas area. Uh, to me, that still seems fairly early in the narrative time period um, of the Indian conflicts. So I was a little surprised at, at that story. I would have expected something more later and, you know, yeah. around the Civil well, War or something like that. It, it doesn't really it doesn't really specify what they're considering, um, how big an area <laughs> they're right, but it does, they, they may just mean within the borders of modern day Collin County. Yeah, so yeah. It, it could be just the next county over. There were continuing conflicts for years. I don't but, know. Yeah, but you think about it, the, the area did settle fairly quickly you know, in the 1850s because by the time of the Civil War, there's enough of a dense population in the Collin County, the four counties area, as well as Dallas and Dallas County to support you know that, that conflict between pro and anti uh secession groups and post in the post-war era too so you know that's only that's only removed you know 15 years from this incident so that's that, yep. that does make sense you know dallas was founded in a, is incorporated all these towns were incorporated within a decade so yeah but yeah and uh, like i said it's it's a reminder that probably you know <laughs> Basically, anywhere you live in Texas, um, no matter how urban you think it may be, um, you may just be, you know, a few minutes walk away from some really um, early Texas history. Because this is literally like, you know, yards away from uh, a very well-developed paved trail in the, the middle of a Plano Park. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you love this show, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially please visit patreon.com slash Texas podcast where you too can become a come and take it ranger. We hope you'll join or you too can become a come and take it Texas ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.